welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I am very excited to have the wonderful writer for the Dallas Stars for Defending Big D, Taylor Baird. How are you, Taylor? I'm good. How's it going tonight? Oh, I'm great. I'm so glad you're here because I haven't had someone from Dallas on yet, so this is a great time to do it. It is. I like to start every episode with what I call a softball question. Um, how did you get started in hockey? So I got into hockey when I first moved to Dallas and I went on a blind date. <laughs> I like to joke that I went to a game and found love, but <laughs> I just, uh, didn't find love with that guy. <laughs> I fell in love with the sport of hockey and the Dallas Stars specifically. I'm not going to lie. I mean, obviously, the first thing you kind of noticed in a game you're not really familiar with was, you know, I noticed the guys skating without helmets on. Louis Erickson, shout out to his beautiful mane of hair. Um, and then I was like, oh, these guys are cool and they're fast and they're hitting each other. And what is this? And I spent every intermission with the uh, little booklet and reading about all the different uh, penalties and what is icing and <laughs> what is interference and what is goaltender interference, which I still have yet to actually learn. Um, although the NHL, to be fair, probably doesn't know the definition of it either. None of us do. <laughs> None of us do. We don't know anymore. Yeah. And I was way more interested in that than talking to the guy I was with. So I never saw him again after that. But I eventually found people online that were Stars fans because at that time in hockey history of the Dallas Stars, they were going through bankruptcy and it was uh, kind of not great <laughs> dark days. Um, so there weren't as many Stars fans around. And that's how I ultimately stumbled across the Defending Big D community. So um, I started commenting there and then uh, the guys who were running it at the time asked me to come on board. Um, the staff is a writer and I was the first female that they actually hired on. And then oh, that's awesome. I kind of been going. <laughs> I know that hockey isn't your day job, and working full time and writing and covering stars games and managing defending Big D can be a lot. How do you find balance? <laughs> you know, I I kind of uh, I I recently received the year end report uh, from defending Big D, and it's and it said Taylor Baird one hundred and sixty four stories. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I mean, I was writing every other day um, throughout the year. And that's and when you consider that I basically, for all intents and purposes, after the playoffs, I was like, I'm out until <laughs> I'm done. Because I was so burnt out at that point. I mean, it's kind of impressive the amount of writing I do in nine months or give or take. But I think it just kind of comes down to I have a job that I work under deadlines, but, you know, it's kind of, you get your job done when you get your job done. So if I come into the office and it's, you know, on my lunch break and the Dallas Stars decide to fire Jim Montgomery, then I can write up a quick, like, something about that and post it up. And then I can come back to it after work and, and do a deeper analysis or, you know, on the breaking news. Um, and so it's just kind of that. And then also, uh, it's having really really um understanding friends that know that you know if, if it's a home game and I say sorry I can't go to your birthday dinner tonight because I'm in the press box then they understand and and they support me in the pursuit of something that started out as a passion has now kind of become 
a passion and a job at the same time. That's really awesome to have kind of friends and a job that's a little bit more flexible so that you can, you know, do both hockey writing and make a living because a lot of people can't make a living doing hockey writing. Yeah. And I do think it kind of helps me to, to that. I actually work in the sports space uh, for my real, for my real job. I do consulting on, on venues. So I've learned a lot, but I also know how to write really fast and I type really well. <laughs> so I think those things help because I can jam out three or 400 words really quick without really thinking too hard on it. And when you're really in the weeds with a specific team, in a lot of ways, it's easier to write the context of breaking news because you've been living it every day. Unlike a national writer who may have to try to keep track of everything. <laughs> um, and I'm learning this year that it that it's a little bit harder trying to follow one specific team, but also keep track of all of the players across the league because I was inducted into the Professional Hockey Writers Association um, this past fall. So I will be actually voting this year. And I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> so, I mean, I know I'm going to get dragged. I know I will. Somebody's going to say, well, what about my favorite person? Or why didn't you consider this guy? Or how dare you not know about this obscure rookie over here in Timbuktu? But like, you know, you can only do so much. <laughs> I can only watch so many hockey games, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like every year there's one writer who forgets to vote for one thing or votes for not enough people. And then they're the ones who get most of the, you know, shit. So you'll probably be good because it's your first year voting. And at least don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Just remember to vote for every category and enough people in each category. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's kind of funny because uh, the mid-year um, awards were voted on recently. And so when those when those um, were released or will be released, I guess we're recording it a little in advance of that. But I'm kind of curious to see what everybody says about my ballot. I'm just hoping that everybody says, okay, that's not too bad. And I think if I can get away with maybe one or two two arguments on a specific like rank of people or something, then I think I'll have considered it a success. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, you can't listen to what everyone's saying about it because like you said, there's no way that you could pay attention to everything. Plus, there's always that one person who is like complete homer for all of theirs. So at least you're doing your due diligence and trying to follow multiple players. I am so trying. I mean, it helps that every team comes through the building now. I can't imagine how much harder it was when we didn't have the assurance that you'd see every team in person at least one time. So it's kind of, I guess, a little bit harder to ignore. But also what I think is kind of unfair is a player like Jonathan Huberto in Florida or Miro Haskin in here in Dallas. I mean, 37 people left him off their Calder ballot altogether last year. And I said, how in the world can you do that when this year they're saying he should be a Norris contender? Like, yeah, where were you? <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of smaller, I'm putting that in quotes, smaller market teams or teams that aren't necessarily the big teams in the media coverage. So teams that aren't Toronto or teams that aren't Pittsburgh that don't get as much media coverage and that it becomes harder for writers to know about those rookies. Also, mm -hmm. um, Miro Heiskanen doesn't play like a rookie. And so there were probably some people last year who were like, there's no way that kid's a rookie. He is playing like a top pairing defenseman already. 
Yes, he looks like a Nick Lidstrom out there. He should. He's probably a ten-year vet. Nope, he's nineteen. Uh, yeah, he's a is a really good player. Uh, your background isn't in journalism, and I know that you kind of got into the hockey community through commenting and interacting with people on the defending Big D. But what really drew you into starting to write like full form pieces instead of just comments? Well, I think it was kind of, it was, it was two part. Um, One is my degree was in marketing. And actually, this is really funny. My roommate in college, her name's Jennifer. Jennifer actually was a journalism major. And so when we roomed together, she and I would study and I would study my marketing and she would study her, her journalism. And now I believe she works in marketing and I'm a journalist and in a press box. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> we just completely flip flopped what we what we studied. It's kind of ironic, but uh, so I started in marketing, and, and I always found the business of sports to be really interesting. Um, and at the time, like I said, the stars were kind of in in bankruptcy, and so I actually wrote. I think one of the very first things I ever wrote in a kind of long form was the marketing of the Dallas Stars and how. They were trying to remain relevant, being a salary floor team, and how do you capture a share of the media market here in Dallas when you have the Dallas Cowboys literally dominating every single radio station, TV show, you know, I mean, just they dominate everything with whatever they do. I mean, literally, it could be, you know, Tony Romo stubbed a toe and there would be 20 minutes on the radio about it. And it's like, that literally has nothing to do with anything. It's the off season. Find something else to talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm the old man shouting at clouds when it comes to sports coverage here in Dallas, but it's fine. But you know, at the time, it, to be fair, like the team wasn't doing much to be relevant in the sports landscape. So I kind of wrote about what they could do or what they were doing to try to attract fans and and generate um, attendance and things like that. And so that's kind of what drew me into it. And then I've always been a fan of stories. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that <laughs> when I was little, my dad was in the military. And so I moved around a lot as a kid. I didn't really live in any one spot consistently until about fourth grade. So I was constantly making new friends. And so I constantly kind of had to talk about stories. And, and you know, I it, it's funny because my friends in college were like, you can literally talk to a brick wall. And I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I stand in line at this store and I'm the person that talks to you. And it doesn't go over well in places like New York or LA, but I'm just a little too outgoing, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so, so I've kind of always been fascinated by the stories. And one of the things that, you know, obviously I wish I had more time for that I don't get to do as much of, but when I do, it's so fulfilling is writing that story. So when I wrote about Stephen Johns and his return to hockey after 22 months between getting a concussion and dealing with post-traumatic uh, headaches, I mean, it just fulfilled me to the point where I'm like, this guy has been through so much and he's finally able to come back. And I just think that's the coolest thing ever. And I went down to Texas, to Texas, the Texas Stars in the AHL, went down to Cedar Park to watch him play his first professional hockey game back ever when he was on a conditioning stint. And I was just like, how cool is this? <laughs> I get to sit here and I get to talk about how he looks as a hockey player instead of a, are we even going to ever see him again? Is he going to be forced to retire at the age of like 25, 27? 
that's just crazy to think about. So I kind of like, I like, kinda, I guess that's how I got drawn in. Um, and then luckily I've had a platform that editors before me allowed me to do whatever I wanted. And then now that I'm kind of in charge, I get to, I get to dictate what I do. Yeah. That can be a bonus of being kind of in charge of distributing assignments is you can make sure that you get assignments you want. Exactly. So we kind of touched on how Dallas isn't necessarily a traditional hockey market. I'm putting that in quotes, but how would you define Dallas as a place for hockey? Like what is a defining factor of the Dallas stars in the city? Oh man, I guess you could go a number of ways with that. I think what I would say is ever since Tom Gallardi bought the team, he's really turned it into an organization that players are proud to be part of. Um, And I think that shows up in a number of ways. It shows up on the fact that Dallas is part of the discussions of some of the top trade targets and and free agents, and we're no longer showing up on no trade lists. (laughs) And um, so that's kind of cool. And then when you get here, I mean, it is so easy for guys, especially older guys with kids, to raise their families here. You get to do that in a community where we love sports here in town, but you still have a modicum of respect for people's privacy. And so you can go and you can go out to eat and probably aren't going to get bothered all that much. Now, you know, of course, a guy like, I don't know, uh, Matthias Janmark, who is a more of a depth player here in Dallas, would probably be able to do that anyway. But, you know, Tyler Sagan doesn't really get bothered all that often when he's out. You, you know, we we barely ever hear about, I mean, of course we hear about it, but, you know, some people try to turn us into the TMZ of the Dallas Stars, but I'm so not interested. Um, but I'll get those <laughs> like, oh, Tyler is at such and such bar. And I'm like, and? You know, like. Was of course he is. He's a 29-year-old guy. He's <laughs> like, let him live his life. Seven, <laughs> 28, whatever, you know, however old he is. Um, and he's a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if I if I had a bad day at the office, I like to go home to a bottle of wine. So like to each their own. And that's kind of how most people in Dallas kind of think about it when they see athletes out. We get really excited. I mean, I sat two tables away from Troy Aikman at a patio bar here in town last spring. But I was like, oh, it's Troy, Troy Aikman. But I didn't try to take his picture or get his autograph or anything. I was just like, that's cool. He likes the same places that I do. That's so neat. (laughs) And I think that's really kind of one of the differences. And so um, Dallas actually has a reputation for being a place where NHLers come to retire. Like after they retire, they stay here or they move back here because they remember what it was like when they when they played here in town. Um, And those things, I mean, they go around the locker rooms. I mean, as as much as we, the fans, would like to think that, you know, Tyler Sagan doesn't talk to Brad Marchant anymore, it, it happens. You know, these <laughs> guys are a brotherhood. They, most of them, don't want to hurt each other or, you know, whatever. And so they talk about a variety of things, and I'm pretty certain that where to live and, and good places to raise a family is definitely part of the conversation. So I think in, in the grand scheme of things, the Dallas Stars are never going to be the the top well actually <laughs> they're almost rarely going to be the top story in the Dallas market in terms of sport wise because the Cowboys will always dominate here even when they suck people talk about why they suck when they're mediocre they talk about why they're not better I mean they just it's this Cowboys land but 
the fan base that they have cultivated is a very passionate one. And I think that that just was beyond proven when we hosted the Winter Classic and set records for attendance. Yeah, you actually just kind of jumped into my next question was this year's Winter Classic was one of the best attended ones I think ever. And when I was watching it, it looked like such a fun, cool event that kind of we had never seen before, like pig racing on like the sidelines. And it just looked very, it looked great. And you had the chance to cover that. So kind of, you know, what's the quick recap of what like that experience, what that experience was like for you? That experience was just so crazy. Okay, so I guess I'll, I'll kind of walk you through both days. Um, so the day before the Winter Classic, both teams went out and held team practices at the Cotton Bowl on the ice for the first time and then did their traditional family skate after um, out in the Cotton Bowl. And I decided <laughs> that day um, that I was really going to lean into this whole Dallas, Texas motif that they had going on. And I straight up wore cowboy boots. <laughs> I don't think many people noticed it, but one of the stars PR guys, um, when I when I got up to the Cotton Bowl, he was like, hey, how's it going? And I'd seen him at some other events, so he kind of recognized me. And then I was like, yeah, I wore my boots for the occasion. And he looked at them and he was like, I love it. And I'm like, you're welcome. Thank you for doing that because I literally don't own a cowboy hat. That's not a thing. That's more Fort Worth than Dallas. But sure, okay, we'll go with this whole riding horses thing. Yeah, we all ride them to, to work every day. Just so y'all know, I have a <laughs> I have a horse in my backyard instead of a car. Um, like literally every big metropolitan area. It's fine. We're only the fourth largest city in, in, in the country. It's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Um, so I did that, and I thought that was really funny, even though not a lot of people noticed it. But some of the guys on the team kind of appreciated it. <laughs> um, and then I think the part that was so interesting about the day before was just how excited the guys were when they walked out and how many times they said, if you had told me I was going to be playing in an outdoor game with the Dallas Stars and hosting it, in Dallas, when I signed here or when I got traded here or whatever, I never would have believed you in a million years. And I just think that's so cool that they got to experience this in a non-traditional market. But I also think that it proves it proves out that people were getting tired of seeing Chicago every other year or every year in these outdoor games. And people were like really ecstatic to be in Dallas for New Year's Day because I think a lot of people just wanted to see what that would actually look like. What does outdoor hockey in Dallas look like? So that was really cool. So that was that was the recap, I guess, of, of day one. And then day two, the actual winter classic day, um, I actually got down to the Cotton Bowl really early and I walked around the midway. So the midway, for those not familiar with the term, at the Cotton Bowl, the Cotton Bowl is not just the stadium. It's also where the Texas State Fair is held every year. It's where Texas and OU play a big Red River rivalry game every fall. And it has this huge amount of carnival games. And it's got a huge, it's like one of the world's largest Ferris wheels. And a bunch of different like carnival rides and ring tosses and 
you know, little pick up the duckies and see if you want a prize and all that, all of that. And so they activated all of that to kind of make it feel like a state fair day. And I think the best part was <laughs> one of the guys in the media, in the press box was talking about why is everybody talking about these horny dogs? And I'm like, oh, you have to go have one. It is legit. <laughs> They're called Fletcher's Corny Dogs. And I swear I've only ever seen them at the state fair. I'm not even positive that they sell them any other time of year, but they're hands down like the best corny dogs you will ever have in life. And so he went out and he was like, oh yeah, that was worth it. Like it was worth standing in the line and getting one. And so to have some of that, I guess, tradition and excitement around the, around the Cotton Bowl, I'm not sure if that came through as much in the broadcast, but man, people had such a blast with it. It just turned it into a much larger event than just, oh, we're ha- we're coming for a game and then we're leaving. Um, so that was really cool. And then, I mean, the game itself, I've never had, so I've never heard the stars part of the anthem screamed as loudly as I did that day. And it brought chills to you because the press box is actually enclosed. And so for us to hear it in an enclosed space, I mean, it was really freaking loud. So it was just so cool. And to know that, you know, 60 plus thousand of the people out there were, were stars fans, but also um, somebody remarked on this to me and I didn't really, it didn't really register to me at the time, but there were so much victory green in the crowd So it wasn't just that fans came, it was fans came and they were rocking the new Dallas Stars colors and whether it was a hat or a jersey or a sweatshirt or a jacket, a quarter zip, whatever, scarves, gloves, whatever, they were so invested in it. And then what's been interesting since then is the fact that tickets are a lot harder to come by to Dallas Stars games now. Even in the middle of the week, uh, people are like, oh, man, I couldn't find a ticket for under $70 today because I think Dallas has always been a big event market. They show up for winners, too. I think that's every market, but Dallas especially um, will do that. But I think the Winter Classic kind of renewed interest in the team as a whole. And I think the fact that they had such a thrilling on-ice game, even though at first I was like, oh, this is going to be really bad. We're <laughs> down two goals already. Cool. Just like Dallas to get out on a national stage and then go, <laughs> <laughs> we forgot what we were doing here. <laughs> um, but the fact that they were able to generate that comeback win and do it in such like dramatic fashion and um, after the game, we were in the locker room and John Klingberg said, he said, um, I usually hear Alexander Radulov anytime he he scores, he yells really loudly. And he said, I couldn't even hear him because the the stadium went just berserk when Radulov scored that go-ahead goal. And I was just like, that's really funny because Radulov doesn't do anything at like a, a level eight. He's always like a 12. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I just think that... The Winter Classic is such a huge event. I also appreciate that that Dallas got to host it before Minnesota. 
Yay, salty Minnesota. I mean, like technically the Minnesota connection is there. So it's like Minnesota kind of had a part of it. See, but here's the thing about covering the Dallas Stars. Every time we talk about how Dallas has done something great or they get some kind of achievement, I get all of these Minnesota fans in my mentions going, yeah, well, they also stole our team. So, and I'm like, okay, revisionist history much. Let's go back and actually look at what was happening. (laughs) Y'all weren't going to games and you refused to help pay for a new arena. So, sorry. Yeah. As someone who's both a fan of a team that has moved, like I understand the like anger that can be like, it can come with that. So I grew up a Browns fan and when I was a child, the Browns left. (laughs) So I do, of course, harbor resentment for the Ravens, but the Browns also exist again. And so does it suck that there was a period of time where there was no football team in Cleveland? Yes. But we have a new football team and they're bad, but they're ours. (laughs) So you have to, you have to love what you have. You can't be bitter about things that left. Maybe that's what Minnesota Wild fans need to realize. Like, yeah, your team has been the very definition of mediocre for the last 20 years, but you got one. Yeah, and they've been to the playoffs a bunch. Just, like, not gone far. Just bounce in the first round every, every time. <laughs> they've well, been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a, Dallas still has a Stanley Cup. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> it seems like hockey in Dallas is, like, very fun to pay attention to, which is really cool. Okay, fun. Sure. Maybe a little bit too dramatic over the past two years. Like, could we just slow down a little bit? Like, for the <laughs> longest time, Dallas never made news. And now I feel like they're only making news. Which, I mean, cool and great. Like, news is good. And they always say there's no such thing as bad press or whatever. I mean, there is. But, I mean, for the most part, it's just been, it's been crazy. Like, ever since Jim Lights went off on his tirade and called them fucking horseshit, like... <laughs> everybody is now like, oh, what's going on down there in Dallas? Oh, they fired their coach in the middle of the season? What? And it's like, why can't we ever just do anything normal? <laughs> it it does kind of feel like watching a soap opera. But again, getting people to tune in in a market that isn't traditionally right. hockey focused. It's more football focused. So, I mean, maybe they're doing it on purpose to get people to pay attention. <laughs> I, I don't think that the Montgomery firing was on purpose. <laughs> absolutely were (laughs) yeah they definitely were you don't invite a reporter in and then say that and then like act like you didn't mean to like that was intentional (laughs) you mentioned that you were the first woman to write for defending big d hockey has done a lot to try to be well i say a lot in quotes um there are a lot more women involved in hockey now at least but what do you think that hockey can do to be a bit more inclusive so before i answer this i'm going to say i will caveat it in one way And that is that I do think that from a media perspective, the teams have done a very good job of establishing what I would consider a friendly workplace environment. You know, we go down after the game is over and we're in the locker room. I mean, not that far removed from after the game is done. And it is now like an established protocol in most locker rooms that I know of where the locker room itself is where you come in, you take off all of your gear, and then you go back to the shower area and that's where you get undressed. And it makes it just a very welcome environment. Nobody's, there's no questions about where did that person's eyes go to when that person was standing in front of them. 
There's no awkward interactions. There's nothing, nothing being, I guess, setting the table for any kind of inappropriate commentary in that regard. So in a lot of ways, I think that's just a huge step in and of itself because, I mean, I think as much as just five or 10 years ago, that may not have always been the case. So major props to teams that do that. I know Dallas does that for sure. So speaking from experience, thank you, Dallas Stars, for PR, for um, putting that in place and and being respectful in that manner. I think that from a – but on the other hand, in the staying in the same vein with media – I would say that it's really disheartening when you have male colleagues that basically say the same thing as you, but yet they're somehow hailed as some genius. And then women tweet something and then you always have somebody in your mentions being negative about what you said. I mean, I think I could put out literally the same tweet as Sean Shapiro and the responses would probably be different we'll say um so I think a lot of that is just it kind of sucks and then the people that we amplify are not always female and if they're saying the same thing as a male then then what what is it that's driving us to amplify one over the other so in a lot of ways I think that in the media sphere I put the onus on some of the guys that are out there right now If you see a female that's doing some good work, you know, amplify them. Don't be afraid to support them publicly. And if guys come into your mention and start being like, oh, you don't need to suck up to the girls or whatever, just block their asses. Like, be done with (laughs) it and and let people know that it's not acceptable. You know, passively accepting that stuff and just not ever commenting on it, not saying that it's not right. I mean, you're not saying it's wrong either. <laughs> so there's that side of it. And I think just getting more women notice, I think is kind of the hardest part on, on the media side. I mean, The Athletic says that they're doing better in terms of their hiring and, and their, I guess, diversity. But, uh, and, and in some ways they do. I mean, there's definitely, they've, they've definitely made it a point to put on their staffs non-white members of the media, which is really nice, but they're still woefully lacking in terms of the gender gap. And I use that because they're kind of becoming the standard for a lot of hockey coverage, especially. And Mm -hmm. I think when when you are regarded that way, you do have a responsibility to, to make sure that you're sending the right message then. And... I think that we're beyond the point of, oh, we're just a startup and we're just getting going. You know what? No, you're established now. Now back up the words that you said you're going to do. And that goes for any media site. And what is really unique about SB Nation is there are sites that are by fans and for fans, but especially in the NHL realm, and, and that's what I'm going to speak to because I can't really speak for the other the other leagues or other sport verticals. But in the NHL, I feel like we make a concerted effort to get to encourage the non cisgender white male to apply for open positions or to come on as contributors. Half of my staff is female. I did have some people who were not white who have unfortunately had to leave my site for other opportunities, which is fantastic for them. Um, 
And so in some ways, and, and so I know like that's my focus is I would really like to get that. But part of it also is I'm kind of a byproduct of the fact that hockey is still a niche sport in Texas and it's an expensive sport. And so it attracts a certain kind of person, especially in a non-traditional market. And it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, <laughs> sadly. Um, but, you know, we try to make an effort to to give people opportunity and let them know that, you know, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for diversity. So that's, I guess, from the media side. From the playing side, I'm really not sure what needs to be done there. I don't know enough about women's hockey to speak knowledgeably on that. And I don't want to put my foot in, the, in my mouth <laughs> on, on that on that front. Um, I do think it's cool that the NHL is starting to recognize some female players and involving them but like it also kind of feels sometimes that they do it only when it's convenient for them and kind of as a marketing ploy and Mm -hmm. so and and like and and we see through that like me us females we know what you're doing (laughs) like you're not fooling anybody by trying to be like oh but we're inclusive yeah you're inclusive that one day that's cool but like Next week, it's literally going to be like it never happened because we don't talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I will say just from my experience with SB Nation, you guys have done an excellent job of creating an inclusive, safe space for women to write about sports. And like Steph is such a wonderful human. And I had her on my first episode and she talked about how her you know, mission is to kind of have gender parity with her NHL editors. And so it's really great to hear that not only is Steph at the top trying to make things a little bit more equitable for women and for people of color, but the people who she's brought on are then continuing that mission. So you guys are doing a really good job of trying to make hockey a bit more inclusive, which can be a big challenge. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I could... I mean, and I also think about, for example, like the Dallas Stars themselves could definitely do a better job in terms of the Hockey is for Everyone initiative. I mean, I think it's fairly well known, at least among Stars fans, that the team doesn't usually address much when it, in the way of, of um, the LGBTQ community. And they do a ton of really good work with underprivileged youth and their legacy project from the winter classic is helping an inner city school. And um, so they do a lot in that way and encouraging diversity in terms of that. And then they have programs to subsidize their youth programs for those that can't afford to play. So they, they try to make it inclusive in terms of socioeconomic status. But when it does come to to the LGBTQ side, like they absolutely can do better. And I think they know it, but unless the media is willing to hold them accountable and unless the fans are willing to hold them accountable for it, then teams don't have a reason to change the status quo. And it's just like the fact that for winter classic jerseys, they were available. The winter classic Jersey as designed was only available in men's sizing. There was the the only option you have in women's ever is a replica jersey. You don't even get an mm-hmm. option to get an authentic cut into a women's cut. I mean, that's really all I'm asking. I don't think it's that hard. Maybe it is. And maybe somebody who is actually on 
the Adidas side can tell me, well, this is why we can't do it. The, do it for females. But nobody has literally ever come out and said, this is why. They've always just said, but this is just how it's done. And when did that ever become a good business sense? No, nope. it's, it's terrible. That's that's one of my biggest issues with sports as a whole is that the women's cut of pretty much everything is a replica or is not authentic. I want the exact same jersey as that guy over there, but I don't want to have to buy an extra small to fit into it properly. I right. and it's not going to fit properly because the sleeves are too short and it's not going to look right. I just want the woman's cut, but with the official crest sewn on properly. That's it. I don't want the screen printed. It's okay. Yeah. I don't think that's a very hard ask, is what I'm saying. It doesn't seem it that outside be. of the realm. There's of like yeah. From like a marketing perspective, there's so much money to be made for them, and they're just not making it. The way that I know a lot of women in Dallas during for the Winter Classic made their money talk was they ended up just buying the men's stuff because that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that all they all the teams will see in a report is, oh, well, we sold X amount of units of men's jerseys. And so they think, wow, well, that's what we just need to continue with. But what they're missing is who those purchasers are. And the fact that a lot of us who are women and have hips or, you know, boobs <laughs> or literally God other than a standard male shape. It's, it's, it's more difficult for us. I have a Jersey that is five inches too long for me because that's the only thing that my hips would fit into. So, and it's really disappointing when other sports leagues have figured it out. The NFL doesn't do this to their female customers. Why does the NHL do it to us? And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense of, oh, well, they must be doing fine because they're still buying like yeah but I'm not happy about it yeah it's incredibly frustrating (laughs) um in a lot of ways marketing uh, the NHL could do a lot um just (laughs) by making merchandise that women will actually buy um and then also like some of these jersey designs it's quite obvious that women were not involved because you would not have the atrocity that was the mooters like ever making it to production it looks like a woman's uterus, and literally nobody said that before it became a thing. <laughs> that is my that is like my preeminent. There was obviously not a woman in the room moment when it came to how NHL products are made, because any woman would have looked that at that and gone, "No, Sex Organ, yeah. not the brand we probably are looking for." Yeah, probably not. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, so bad. It's just so bad. <laughs> so as, as a woman who got into hockey in what I'm going to call a non-traditional way, um, <laughs> do you have any advice for women who are trying to get started in hockey? Oh, man. I guess the first thing is, is like, ignore a lot of the men. <laughs> um, guys are going to give you a hard time if you don't know everything about every player, about every moment in the franchise history and just screw them. You don't need to know those things. You, I mean, it's cool if you do. That's awesome. I mean, I've learned a lot, but I mean, my history is pretty much fuzzy past 1999 um, on the team. And I mean, honestly, I could maybe name a couple of people off the 99 cup winning roster, but I wasn't a fan back then either. So, 
I mean, it's cool and I think it's a great part of our history, but you know, it's not important. What's important is that you're having fun, that you're enjoying what you're learning about. And don't be afraid to ask people questions. And if somebody says, oh, how do you not know that? Move on to the next person and get the answer you're looking for because that person is just being a jerk. And we've got to really do better as hockey fans in general of stop with the gatekeeping. It doesn't matter if somebody started liking your team yesterday. You should want to educate them. Why would you not want people to like this sport that you're obviously so passionate about? I will never understand people. Um, And then I think... The last part is, is like, don't be afraid to also say, yeah, I thought the guys are are hot. Okay, cool. I mean, to each their own, you know, just let people enjoy things. When did it become so such a thing to not enjoy stuff? Um, so just have fun with it and then find your people. Um, some of my best friends, I actually met through hockey Twitter. And they became the people that I interacted with. And then I met them in real life. And I was literally just the best or the maid of honor and my best friend's wedding in December. And that's how we met was because we both liked hockey and we started talking about it on Twitter. So find your people and don't, it doesn't matter where that happens to be or if you never meet each other in real life, if they're just cool and awesome and you like enjoy talking to them about the same thing that you like, then go for it. Don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, I want to talk this sport with you. 90% of us probably want to talk more hockey. Uh, Cosign all of that because that's very true. I've met some of my very best friends through online interactions about sports. I also met my husband at a sports analytics conference. So definitely find find your people and Don't be afraid to be weird with your people about the thing you like, especially if that thing is hockey. (laughs) Correct. So where can people find your stuff? I know that you're working on stuff for the stars all the time and that March is very busy. So we want to make sure people know where they can read you. Yes. um, March, there are 10 Dallas Stars home games. So come read all about them. (laughs) As I live at the American Airlines Center, I'll just set up a cot in the corner. You'll never know I'm there. Um, (laughs) So I, you can find my writing at DefendingBigD.com and you can find me on Twitter at Taylor D as in Diane Baird. Um, just my middle name or my first name, middle initial, last name. Very creative, I know. Um, and I'm usually <laughs> on there just spouting off interesting tidbits and things I see. Oh, and if you really enjoy pictures of cats, you can follow me on Instagram at the same name. <laughs> I doesn't love cat photos. And my, and my dogs. I have cats and dogs. <laughs> Equal opportunity for a baby lover here. <laughs> all right. Well, Taylor, I so appreciate you coming on and telling us all about your experience of getting into hockey and especially about covering the Winter Classic because that's so cool that you had the chance to do that. And One, th- one other little story about the Winter Classic. In in at the Winter Classic, there was probably I don't know I think they had over a hundred press box seats, and I think I counted four of us females. Um, one of them was from the NHL.com International, and I think she was speaking Chinese, so um, I didn't really talk to her very much. But yeah, there were not very many of us, and 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 that pretty much speaks volumes to a lot of things in the NHL. 
Um, but one thing I will say that I found to be really quite amusing was in the press in the post game press conference with Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben, and Ben Bishop. Uh, we were sitting there, and I had my hand raised, and I was going to ask a question. And the way it works at NHL events is they kind of number you off. So, you know, three people raise their hand. They go, okay, you're one, you're two, you're three. And I was number two in an order. And Jamie Ben had just finished wrapping up a question, and Tyler was like, I don't think you'll need anything else or something like that. And he said, on to, I think we're moving on to the next question. And then he pointed at me because he recognized that I was there and that I'd raised my hand and I had a microphone in my hand, but I was second. <laughs> so when somebody else started speaking, there's this look of surprise on his face. <laughs> it's really funny, <laughs> but I appreciated that he was trying to make sure that my voice was going to be heard. <laughs> and so for me, my own personal like winter classic memory, that's probably going to be one that I keep with me for a long time. Because I thought that was really cool that he wanted to make sure that me, who is here at every home game and at as many um, morning skates and practices as I can drag myself out of bed for on the weekends, <laughs> um, <laughs> that he wanted to make sure that you know I wasn't being drowned out by the by the national writers that were there. So that was really cool. So I just wanted to give a little shout out on that. I thought it was pretty pretty funny. If you watch the video, you have no idea what his reaction is about, but that's actually what it was. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> See, that's like you have your own winter classic memory. Like it didn't matter what the results of the game was. You have that. That and a couple of others. But I mean, that definitely <laughs> stands out and in, in a professional sense. I mean, it's I think that was kind of one of those moments where I really realized that, you know, I am known and respected for what I do. And I think it's really easy, especially for those of us that write for non-mainstream outlets to have that imposter syndrome and and really to question whether people pay attention to us or whether they read us or, you know, is anybody is anybody even paying attention or are we shouting into the ether? And to that I would say you would actually be really surprised at the number of front offices that are probably reading your stuff and you don't even know it. That's terrifying, but probably really cool to think about. <laughs> and terrifying. I try not to think too hard on it. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's leave it on a high note then because that's a really fun thing to end on. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. I know that you were incredibly busy from working full time to covering the stars and managing a website. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me anytime. Yeah, and Taylor already gave her social handles, but I'll also uh, post the links to those in the link to this episode. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you could go and rate five stars and leave a review, it helps other people find our show. And then maybe I'll be able to talk to even more cool women in hockey and live my dream of talking to every single woman who works in hockey. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.